0: From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Colorado's a technological leader. Representatives Ed Perlmutter and Joe Neguse say it's a race to keep it that way.
1: It's an all-hands-on-deck moment for the United States in terms of being able to compete at the level that we would like in science, in innovation, in issues surrounding space that are critical to the future of
2: our country.
0: Then, can state lawmakers find a way to get people the mental health
2: care they need? Colorado faces greater mental health challenges than a lot of other states. More people who need help and less help available.
0: Purplish looks at the possible solutions. And later, a new chapter in a story of friendship 70 years in the making, thanks to a stolen bracelet. membership does more than fund the news and music you rely on it
3: helps build a statewide community through shared experiences your gift means culture can be explored it means stories can be told from the western slope the eastern plains and from up and down the front range cpr can serve your community and other communities across colorado because of your support thank you not a member yet
0: join now at cpr.org This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Andrea Dukakis. Colorado's at the forefront of space and technological innovation, and it's a race to keep it that way. U.S. Representatives Joe Neguse and Ed Perlmutter took members of the House Science Committee on a tour of space technology companies in Colorado last week. They say it shows why a bill now in the House called the America Competes Act is so important. The two spoke with CPR's Carla Jimenez. Congressman Neguse, Congressman Perlmutter, thank you so much for joining me.
4: Great to be here. Thanks for having us.
5: Both of you are here in Colorado as part of a tour for the space companies in the state in the hopes of passing the America Competes Act, which will provide for more funding for scientific research and microchips and semiconductors. Can you please explain why these things are needed?
4: Well, sure. I think, you know, the trip itself was really to showcase the national laboratories and the aerospace kind of industry that we have here in Colorado and the, the ecosystem that we have of the scientific community, the engineering community, the academic community, the national labs. And I've been wanting to get the science committee out to see this, you know, wonderful place that we have here in Colorado, in Jefferson County, and Boulder County and Broomfield all up and down the front range. And so that was really the, the genesis of this visit. And then the, its timing is such that we have several important bills to be considered. The chief among them is the American Competes Act, which is in conference uh, w- between the House and the Senate to really uh, spend some money in research and development for our scientific community, rebuild our manufacturing prowess uh, all across the country and uh, return much uh, manufacturing both of, you know, normal everyday items as well as uh, scientific types of machinery and equipment.
1: Uh, So the opportunity to be able to showcase that work, to highlight the work that's being done here in Colorado, uh, and in turn, as Ed said, reinforce the need for us to Take the legislative steps that uh, that we've embarked upon, particularly as it relates to the America Competes Act and the investments that are in that bill uh, and certainly in the House version in our federal labs uh, and in some of this symbiotic R&D that's happening here in uh, both of our districts and, and across the state writ at large. It's important that those investments Uh, remain in the bill, the final bill that ultimately gets to President Biden's desk. And so having committee members out here who are certainly going to be engaged in that process to stress to them the importance of those investments, I thought was really important and grateful to have had the opportunity.
5: If this bill passes, if America competes passes, how much money then would be funneled into Colorado-based space and technology companies?
4: Well, there are billions of dollars uh, devoted to manufacturing, to chip technology, to laboratories uh, across the nation. I don't know that it's been specifically allocated among the different facilities and the laboratories at this point, because it's in conference and there is a lot of negotiation. And one of the chief conferees, who's really very much involved in the, the funding aspect, of this is Senator John Hickenlooper. He is very engaged in that piece of the legislation. and uh, But Colorado, because we have such a, a robust research and development community in the University of Colorado, the School of Mines, CSU, DU, our community colleges, uh, we will get our fair share of the billions that will be allocated and appropriated to make sure that we're competitive with the rest of the world and particularly China for the foreseeable future. We need to make these investments and we're going to make these investments.
5: You bring up a really good point, Congressman. I I want to pose this question to both of you. Much of this bill, as you said, is aimed at staving off competition from China when it comes to technological research and development. Is this going to be enough to reassert global leadership in this area?
1: For my part, I think of it as a down payment, right? Um, At the end of the day, it will enable us to make great progress, but it's certainly not a panacea. The Congress will have to continue to do more. Uh, There are major investments that Ed and I are both fighting for, along with Senator Hickenlooper, as was mentioned, and the rest of the delegation around funding for our federal labs and domestic manufacturing outside of this particular bill through the normal budgetary process process as we consider a budget for the next fiscal year. Those investments will be important. They are not mutually exclusive to the investments that are within the America Competes Act. It's an all hands on deck moment uh, for the United States in terms of being able to compete uh, at the level that we would like to see our country compete. And I think we can get there. I don't think there's any question that if we have the foresight and the vision to make these investments on the front end, that we'll continue to maintain our leadership uh, in science, in innovation, in issues surrounding space, uh, and a wide variety of other important policy areas uh, that are critical to the future of our country.
4: And I agree with Joe, and I, I think we should uh, also remember uh, this is part of the puzzle that we've been putting together. I mean, we've we've been making an effort through the American Rescue Plan. There is a lot of money devoted to healthcare research and healthcare kinds of advancements and so that will help us in that arena for sure as, lo- as well as education generally then we've got the uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill which will help us rebuild a lot of the infrastructure across our country so that we're competitive in uh, that way as well that we don't have old you know roads and bridges and broadband and and electrical grid but we have really advanced that as well and then you add america Competes Act, uh, we really are investing today in the future of our country and the ability of America to, re- you know, I think we're still in lead in the lead, uh, but to maintain that lead and to continue to advance technology and the uh, social well-being of, uh, of
5: Americans. That brings me to my next question. How can you justify Congress spending this money on technology when some people might argue that this money should be instead going to those infrastructure needs that you mentioned?
4: Well, we already uh, passed the bipartisan infrastructure package. And so, for instance, you know, just on I-70, as it goes through uh, Wheat Ridge, Arvada, you know, uh, up towards the mountains, we're probably going to rebuild five bridges, six bridges that are 50 or so years old. And need of repair. We're doing that. That's part of the infrastructure package. Part of the infrastructure package is rebuilding water systems all across the country. Uh, Part of the infrastructure package is really rebuilding our electrical grid so that we can take advantage of all the renewables that are being developed across the country, but particularly here in Colorado with solar and wind and bio and, and fuel cells and all those things that the National Renewable Energy Lab is involved with. So I think we're already have taken some great strides and are moving forward because of the passage of the infrastructure bill.
5: Congressman Perlmutter, money from the America Competes Act is also slated to go to supply chain resiliency. Can you please explain what that money would go toward and why the supply chain needs to be more resilient?
4: Well, we saw through COVID that we are pretty vulnerable to manufacturing of anything from toilet paper to ventilators, to masks, to thermometers, you know, overseas. And when we ran into this pandemic or this pandemic ran into us, uh, we suffered. Uh, I think America suffered uh, because of supply chain disruptions all across the globe. And I think part of what we want to ensure, even though, you know, maybe it's done a lot cheaper in Singapore or Beijing or some other place, uh, we want to make sure that we control our own destinies and that we have uh, good manufacturing jobs, good paying jobs that really provide products that we need here in this country and not suffer the supply chain disruptions that really have wreaked havoc, both in terms of shortages and surpluses And then, you know, we we have all of these different kinds of demands as we've come out of the pandemic.
1: I I would just add, fixing the supply chain fundamentally is a national security priority for all the reasons that that Ed stated. I mean, at the end of the day, this is about protecting our national security with American-made capacity to prevent the types of shortages and disruptions that we, of course experienced during the course of the last several years as it relates to you know public health challenges that that we experience and the globe ultimately experienced but also there are other threats that exist biological uh, preparedness cyber threats uh, you know the the center for Inf- information security just recently warned in addition to a, a penalty of federal agencies uh, law enforcement agencies of the growing risks and threats to the supply chain uh, from cyber foes uh, and foreign adversaries like russia uh, that would seek to uh, uh, utilize you know cyber crimes to to ultimately disrupt our supply chains here domestically so it's important for us to get this right and that's why the bill includes that the 45 billion dollars that i think you're referencing in terms of uh, fixing our broken supply chains
5: can either of you give an example, a specific example, of how the funding might jumpstart something critical to the supply chain that we rely on other countries for?
1: Sure. I mean, you know, the, perhaps the best example are chips themselves, right? So the the development of critical chips that are required for any number of you know commercial products in modern society, and many of which are not made here in the United States, but in fact are made. Uh, elsewhere. Uh, so ensuring that those are made here, right? That American technological leadership in semiconductor fabrication is well established uh, and that we are dominant in that sphere will ultimately have collateral impacts on the supply chain. Uh, will enable us um, to not be so reliant and dependent on other countries including uh, you know geopolitical foes.
5: I want to go back to the tour of the Colorado companies that you just went on. Uh, Part of this tour is to see other technologies that were particularly helpful in fire forecasting. Congressman Agus, how much of this bill would go toward investing in those technologies?
1: Uh, Not enough. Not enough. Not nearly enough. Uh, So one, I would say perhaps some of the most impactful parts of the visits to the various federal labs, from my point of view as a member who represents an area that really has been besieged by wildfires these last few years, was the the conversations we had with folks at NOAA, at the National Weather Service and at NCAR and UCAR about wildfire, about fire forecasting, about innovation that's happening around climate and disaster preparedness um, and advancements in mitigation and resiliency. Uh, We had a great roundtable conversation that uh, my my colleague Ed uh, helped facilitate uh, between some of our local mayors, first responders, and the scientists all sitting at the same table talking about the Marshall Fire in particular, which, as you know, was the most destructive fire in our state's history, and the ways in which better forecasting and some other tools that the labs that I just described are working on could be brought to bear to ultimately save lives, to better protect our communities in light of the growing threat of wildfires across the Front Range and indeed the Rocky Mountain West. Uh, The America Competes Act does include a few investments and, of course. Uh, we made a significant down payment on resiliency and mitigation in the infrastructure bill going directly to Colorado, places like the Arapaho Roosevelt and the, the San Isabel Pike National Forests. But uh, there's more that has to be done, and we're, Ed and I are working together with our colleagues on a package of wildfire-related bills Um, including some wildfire science bills that will come to the floor uh, at the end of this month or perhaps uh, beginning of next month um, that we think would uh, would make a sizable investment. So we're going to keep pushing, but there's a lot more that needs to be done.
5: Congressman Perlmutter, you've been trying to get a bill passed that would allow banks to do business with licensed cannabis companies called the Safe Banking Act. It is part of the America Competes Act that the House has passed, but the Senate version does not include safe banking what still needs to be done to get safe banking through both chambers
4: i still am optimistic safe banking will be in the final bill that is then voted on by the senate and the house and sent to the president so we just had uh, some killings up in uh, the state of washington uh, there was i think a robber killed a police officer was killed a store owner was killed because again there's so much cash in the marijuana dispensaries and and grow operations, and banks really under the law can't take that money. And we need to, from a public safety standpoint and an equity standpoint, get this resolved. So it's still in the House version of America competes. And I am optimistic that with support of a lot of senators, both Democrats and Republicans, we had bipartisan support coming out of the House. So I'm still confident we'll get it through either competes or as a standalone bill, because I know there is substantial bipartisan support for it in the Senate. And there clearly we passed it with big numbers out of the House a number of times now. And, you know, we'll see how uh, things go over the next couple, three weeks as we negotiate the
5: final
0: America Competes Act.
5: Congressman Neguse, Congressman Perlmutter, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Representatives Ed Perlmutter of Lakewood and Joe Neguse of Boulder, both are Democrats. They spoke with Colorado Matters public affairs producer Carla Jimenez about the America Competes Act. When we come back, we'll look at what state lawmakers are considering to improve mental health care access and treatment in Colorado. I'm Andrea Dukakis. You're with CPR News and KRCC.
6: Title IX is not just about
7: money and whose shoes are nicer. Erica Krause is the Colorado P.I. who helped the nation see Title IX as about much more than sports. And her new memoir, Tell Me Everything, is a riveting look into a landmark sexual assault investigation here in Colorado. It's also our next read for Turn the Page with Colorado Matters. Join the conversation live on
0: stage to kick off Lit Fest in Denver, June 10th. Details and free tickets at cpr.org slash turn the page. Colorado ranks last in the nation when it comes to the availability of mental health care for people who need it. This year, state lawmakers are hoping to make care more accessible, but they have only a few days left to do that before the session ends. Let's get into some of the ideas with Purplish, the politics podcast from CPR News. Here are public affairs reporters, Andrew Kenny and Benta Brooklyn.
8: Colorado's mental health care system has been struggling for years. Many people can't get the care they need, and when they don't, things can go off the rails really fast. For Joshua Hursa, that slide started on a particular day when he was 25.
9: I was walking my daughter to Cheeseman Park, and I slipped into a psychosis. I didn't even know that she was there, and I walked to the Brown Palace.
8: Denver police eventually found Hursa at the Brown Palace Hotel talking to people who didn't exist. They also found his daughter unharmed. She was outside at a different location. Versa has since been diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder and as bipolar.
9: So I have multiple people in my head who are like either yelling or screaming or trying to control my body.
8: After that first psychosis, Versa spent a week at a mental hospital and then was sent to jail. He ended up being convicted of reckless endangerment for walking away and leaving his daughter. In the years since, he's been hospitalized twice and spent a couple months in jail when there wasn't any other place for him to go to get treatment. But Hursa said when he's on his medication, he can be stable and pretty much go about his normal daily routine.
9: I take six different drugs. Before I came here, I popped all my pills. But it's it's a choice. I can wake up and be a homeless schizophrenic any day of the week. I just refuse to take my meds, refuse therapy.
8: I met up with HRSA at the state capitol. He actually worked here for quite a while as a legislative aide before hmm. all of this. He knows the legislature very well and he says he does get frustrated with how little lawmakers have done when it comes to behavioral health.
9: I've been here from 2010 to 2014. They didn't give a flying rip about schizophrenics. They didn't care that they were sitting in jail. Not a single one of them, I'll be honest. Otherwise they would have ran a bill. That's, you know, talk is cheap.
8: But this year, Hirsa thinks things will be different. He's come back to the Capitol to advocate for bills that would touch directly on his life. A whole package of measures meant to improve how the state helps Coloradans dealing with severe mental illness.
2: It's an urgent issue, not just for him, but for many, many people across the state and it's one a lot of people think is long overdue for some major reform.
8: And HRSA said he's proud that lawmakers are really diving into it this session and poised to make some significant changes, which he thinks are desperately overdue.
9: So in Colorado, we have this crisis. We have a homeless crisis. It's due to a mental health crisis, which is due to a drug crisis. All of these things are tied together. Are we going to solve these things and
2: get our arms around it? So, to that question, on this episode of Purpleish, lawmakers tackle Colorado's mental health care. They're bringing big dollars to the effort this year, but will it be enough to meet all the state's many unmet needs?
8: And a quick warning before we get into the episode. In the course of our conversation, we will be talking about suicide.
2: So mental health or behavioral health is one of those few big issues facing Colorado that state leaders have chosen to put a big chunk of federal COVID relief money into. Their goal is, quote, transformative change in an area where Colorado has long lagged behind other states.
8: We're talking close to $500 million.
2: Yep, a half billion.
8: At the same time, lawmakers are also hoping to make changes to policies and systems that are currently failing many people like Josh Hursa.
2: So we're going to spend a bit of time talking about the scope of the issue in Colorado where the gaps are, what's happening to the people when they can't get the help that they need.
8: We'll cover three big areas lawmakers hope to make a difference in. Inpatient capacity, Mm -hmm. youth treatment, and the system itself.
2: It is a really big topic with lots of complex elements, just like healthcare always has. And it's truly an issue where what lawmakers do or don't do could have a really significant effect on tons of people's lives.
8: Andy, in the course of covering this, I heard some figures about Colorado that really put this whole situation in perspective. I have to say they were pretty troubling and it actually surprised me.
2: Wow, why don't you you share a couple of them?
8: So the first is from Mental Health America. This is a national advocacy group. And they found that Coloradans are overall experiencing behavioral health problems, mental illness, substance use disorder, suicidal thoughts at a higher rate than people in most other states in the country. And a second concerning figure is that Colorado has the seventh highest suicide rate in the U.S.
2: So that shows this relatively high need for mental health treatment in the state. In your reporting, how did you find, how is Colorado doing on actually providing those kinds of services and help?
8: Unfortunately, not that well. When you look at Mental Health America, the group I just mentioned, they rank states based on what percentage of people who need care can get that care. Mm -hmm. So, where do you think Colorado ranks? I
2: feel like we're usually quite low on a lot of these measures, but I don't want to guess last.
8: It is last. Yes, we are last, and that's for adults. It's a bit better for kids, but for adults, we're ranked as the worst state in the nation when you compare how many people have a mental illness, to how many treatment resources are available to those people. So this is measuring things like adults with any type of mental illness, substance abuse disorder, serious thoughts of suicide. And then it kind of compares that to the number of those people who did not receive treatment.
2: So not to put it in super clinical terms, but there's not nearly enough supply of services for the demand for treatment.
8: That's exactly right. And it brings us to the first big thing state lawmakers want to do which is to open up more beds for people in crisis. Mental health, behavioral health is one of those areas where many of the lawmakers proposing policies also have a lot of experience with the system itself, even if it's not something they talk about right away, but they have personal experiences.
6: No one wants to admit that they're having behavioral health issues. Most people don't want to admit that, at least not until it's been going on for a while.
8: That's Representative Judy Amabile. She's a Democrat, she's from Boulder, and her son has been struggling with his mental health since shortly after high school.
6: He has something called thought broadcasting, okay. uh, where he thinks other people can hear what he's thinking. And that makes you very vulnerable when you're out in public. So. You're buying a coffee at Starbucks and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this barista is so hot. And then you think she heard that.
8: Amabile has been at the forefront of this. She's been really involved in this year's behavioral health policies she's sponsoring a bill that would direct around $50 million each year to help private providers add 125 more inpatient beds. So the idea here is that Colorado just doesn't have enough places right now for people to go if they're in a severe crisis. You know, they need some place safe
6: to manage their symptoms. The vision for this is that it's a place where you could stay for a week, a month, three months, six months, and that how long you stay should depend on what you need, as opposed to who's paying and how much they're willing to spend which is kind of the system we have now.
2: So, you know, when those kind of residential places to be treated aren't available, we've heard a lot over the years about what can happen to people. Instead of going to a treatment facility, they may end up getting arrested and being held in jail instead.
8: And that's a big concern for Amabile and a lot of other lawmakers and parents because right now the justice system is the biggest provider of mental health care in Colorado. So you know, no one thinks that this is a good approach, but the current system just doesn't have the capacity for it. And so things escalate to that point. And jail is not a restorative environment to give people the most successful tools that they are going to need to handle these health issues.
2: And that leads to this issue that's not unique to Colorado, but it's one the state's been dealing with for more than a decade. So let me introduce a new idea here. It's that people in mental health crises after they've been arrested for different criminal charges, are often found incompetent to stand trial, which means, you know, the state's saying that you're not ready for trial. You're not in a fit state. But because of that, the state has to then return them, quote, to competency before the case can move forward. And for years and years, that has meant that tons of people have been waiting much longer than they're really supposed to under the rules before they can get psychiatric help, before they can get that competency restored and they just end up sitting in jails. Our colleague, Allison Sherry, has reported on this a lot. Right now, Colorado as a state is paying millions of dollars in fines because of those delays, because people are sitting in jails instead of getting help or instead of being able to be competent to stay in trial.
8: I talked to Joe Pelly. He's the Boulder County Sheriff, and he said they've been working on this effort in recent years you know, to address the mental health crises in jails. He said mm-hmm. but despite additional grant money, additional mental health staff, it's still not enough for Boulder County because they just cannot keep up with all the people who need this help.
3: We are doing the best we can with what we have but um, you know when I've been the sheriff in Boulder County for 20 years when I first started I was told about 15 percent of the inmates in our jail had a diagnosed mental illness. Um, Today that can be as high as 60 or 70 percent
2: of the folks in there that are struggling with some kind of mental health issue so the sheriff there talked about the rising number of people being diagnosed with mental illness in jails uh, that's not to say that this is an entirely new problem of you know people with mental illness ending up in jail it may be in part that jails are getting more sensitized that they're diagnosing more mental illness that were more receptive to the idea that mental illness is leading people into jail instead of treatment
8: i think that could be right that people are getting diagnosed more frequently but also you know From a lot of the advocates I talked to, Mm -hmm. if we had a system that could treat people earlier, treat their symptoms, people can take medication if that's what they need. It may not escalate to, to someone ending up in jail.
2: Okay, so do the bills this year do anything to address what we were just
8: talking about? Immobile has a measure that would add more beds specifically for those people who do need competency treatment. So she has a bill that would allow some of those competency, that restoration to happen in the community instead of in jail. So these are things like, you know, before you stand trial, you have to understand the charges against Mm -hmm. you. You have to know who you are, Mm -hmm. you know, some basic things like that. And there is another measure that Governor Polis just signed from this session that would expand a program in Colorado where district attorneys could divert people who've been arrested out of the criminal justice system and into treatment in the community. And the idea here is that if someone's mental illness leads them to break the law, treatment may be a better approach than punishment.
2: All right. So to sum it up, Colorado ranks at the bottom nationally for behavioral health services and their availability compared to how many people actually need them. And so the first of these big things that state lawmakers are trying to do to improve this system is just to create more beds, create more residential treatment.
8: Exactly. State lawmakers really want to fund more inpatient slots around the state and try to increase access for people who are in crisis, who really don't have a place to get that help other than, you know, a quick hospital stay or something. Mm -hmm. And then separately, for people who are in a mental health crisis, who've Mm -hmm. been arrested, Colorado wants to speed up the process for them to get restored to competency, if that's the case, so they can get to trial.
2: Okay, so that's treatment capacity, actually getting people services. What's another big thing that they're trying to do, another big focus?
8: Lawmakers really have their eyes on one particular group of Coloradans, and that's kids. When it comes to children and mental health, People across Colorado are really worried. Last year, Children's Hospital in Colorado actually declared a youth mental health emergency. And when they did that, they cited the devastating figure that suicide is the leading cause of death for young people and Children's Hospital Colorado said they're seeing emergency rooms filled with children who've made suicide attempts, and that this is unprecedented. And despite the resources they're putting into this, it's not getting better.
2: Obviously, with all the changes we're observing in the statistics, there are really some major alarm bells going off here.
8: Absolutely, and this has been getting worse for a while, but we can't discount the impact of the pandemic yeah. with the social isolation, remote schooling, even stress and anxiety adults have felt and how that impacts children and how that takes a major toll on them and even though pandemic restrictions are loosening up it's unfortunately not just snap our fingers and things can go back to normal and people are okay
2: and that's on top of tons of other changes that researchers are looking into as possible causes but it sounds like for now lawmakers are trying to do something about this at the state level what is in the works
8: well, they have a number of things that they're working on. Bills that would provide more support for children at school to get therapy and counseling. You know, it's a place they already are going to be at every day for the most part. And expanding a program that recently started with some federal money for free counseling for school aged children and therapy. So trying to make it accessible and, and easy to get that service.
2: So this is another issue where one of the leading lawmakers working on it has a big personal stake, right?
8: That is right, yes. Representative Daphna Michelson-Janae, she's a Democrat. She's been working on this issue for a long time, and she deals with severe depression, and so do some of her family members. And she's run a number of bills over the years to try to get children more access to therapy and suicide prevention efforts.
7: You know, when you think about mental health available in other states, we don't have it here you know we we desperately call it the missing middle we just don't have the care that our our kids need and our suicide rate is higher than most states and We need to do these things to be able to secure the mental health and well-being of our children as well as our adults.
8: And Michelson-Judnay also proposing to to spend significant more money on children with the most severe mental health conditions. So her biggest bill this session, cost-wise, would set up inpatient beds for youth at the state's mental health hospital, and that hospital is in Fort Logan. And then it would also establish residential treatment beds in other regions of Colorado, so across the state, and those would specifically be for young patients.
7: So um, if you have schizoaffective disorder, if you have um, advanced major depressive disorder, if you have a substance use disorder on top of that disorder, this is a place where you can come and get complete treatment. Also, if you have other developmental disabilities, a a big problem that we often have is if you have a developmental disability and a mental illness, many places won't take you because they can't manage the developmental disability. The neuropsychiatric facility will be able to handle this.
2: So that's focused on treating youth, but then it kind of dovetails Mm -hmm. with the other legislation we were talking about earlier in the episode for adults, for people like Josh Hursa, who we heard from at the beginning.
3: Yes,
8: that's right. I mean, this is just for youth. And and Michelson-Janae and others say that Even with all this money they're spending this year, it still won't get Colorado to the levels of these inpatient beds that the state really needs. But they see this, of course, moving in the right direction. And she pointed out something that I think is important to remember, and it's when we talk about a bed or residential treatment that we're not just talking about a piece of furniture yeah. or a room.
7: You know, we visualize a bed in a hospital, a bed in a hospital, plus the care for the patient, plus the resources we need for medication assisted treatment, um, plus the resources we need for therapeutic in- investment in the patient. Um, So when you think of a bed, you think of a whole little ecosystem that we are going to put into place for one person, two persons, three persons.
2: So we've talked about these two major bills to put millions of dollars into inpatient treatment. They're both democratically sponsored. Just curious, do these have Republicans on board as well? Well,
8: a lot of these bills to increase capacity came out of a legislative task force that was bipartisan, that was set up to look at transforming our behavioral health system. And so they do have Republican support. This is an issue that both parties generally agree is absolutely critical to the state. I would say though, I mean, it's not like every Republican is on board by any means. michelson Janay's measure to fund the youth residential treatment beds, that has a lot more bipartisan backing, I'd say.
2: What is the difference that you're hearing from Republican lawmakers that they're drawing between those different categories? Well,
8: to understand that, I talked with Representative Rod Pelton. He's from the Eastern Plains. He served on that Behavioral Health Task Force. Mm -hmm. He did end up voting for Michelson-Jeney's bill.
2: The bill for the uh, youth treatment beds.
8: Yes. And just in the first year alone, that totals about $50 million Mm dollars. But Pelton did not vote for increased beds for adults. And for him, it's it's a fiscal issue.
2: Oh, so the price tag?
8: Yeah. And Pelton said he understands there's great need for more inpatient beds. He said at this point, he couldn't quite get behind those ongoing funds that would be required for the additional beds. Hmm. But one thing he says he really does like is, is especially with the youth measure, that the bill is focused on youth beyond just metro areas. It's across the state. And as a rural lawmaker, he's very aware of how little is available for people in a lot of smaller communities in Colorado.
2: That's something I've actually heard a lot about in my own reporting on substance use treatment, on treatment for opioids, is that if you're in rural Colorado, you're out of luck when it comes to a lot of different types of treatment. You know, you can still get telehealth services and some prescription drugs, but it's just not the same as what you can get in the front range. And that's part of what contributes to higher suicide rates and other issues in rural areas.
8: When I talked to Pelton, one thing he pointed out is that in smaller rural areas, he thinks there's this attitude of people, you know, used to working on the land and doing things for themselves and feeling like they can take anything on Mm -hmm. so they don't want to ask for help.
2: So you've got the cultural barrier on top of the fact that the services aren't always there a bit of a chicken and egg problem there too, where how do you encourage a whole community to seek treatment when it's just not there?
8: I mean, as I've heard over and over reporting on this topic, there are so many facets and ways to address this issue. But I think lawmakers at least first want to get more capacity in the system. So if people want to get help, there's at least a place to go. So two of those big policies this year, more money for general inpatient beds and more money for youth treatment in particular would try to address that. Capacity alone, of course, isn't going to be enough. That brings us to the third big thing lawmakers are doing, trying to improve the system itself. So we've touched on increased capacity for some of the most at-risk Coloradans, but let's round out this episode of Purplish with some of the systemic changes Colorado is hoping to make. The most significant is building out a new behavioral health administration for Colorado.
2: That's something that was created last year with support from lawmakers in both parties. I know a little bit about it. It's supposed to be the umbrella that pulls together some of these fractured different elements. What else can you tell us about it though?
8: Yeah, I think that's that's right. You know, The goal is to centralize some of these services so to make the system more holistic and transparent and efficient. So kind of having everything in one place. So this new state agency for behavioral health would do things like administer money, monitor outcomes. So how are things actually going in the real world here? And they would be the single agency responsible for all these different behavioral health programs.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's a complex system and it's actually a bunch of different systems. You know, I ran into this reporting on the substance use treatment, opioid treatment. It took me days and days to find out who to even ask, where to go, what department to go to, to ask about different facets of treating the same thing. It's really not easy even as a reporter to get information about how many treatment beds are there, where are they? Only recently did the state start collecting information like how long the wait lists were at different residential substance use treatment facilities. So you can imagine how tough it is if you're a patient or a family member. But you know, the whole idea that we were just talking about with this behavioral health administration is to make it more of a unified system, bring some cohesiveness.
8: When I talked to Representative Judy Mobile, because she's had to deal with a lot of this due to her son, she was just reflecting on how difficult it was to find out where to go to get help when yep. someone is really in a crisis. She said she didn't even know the right lingo, the right terms, who to call. Some place would give her a list of places that no one picks up the phone and... Yeah, you know, they have wait lists and then she didn't know what's the difference between detox and rehab. So it's just like there's so many levels of complexity when people you know, are really trying to get help. And there is also money set aside for kind of care coordination hmm. to help families navigate the system.
2: So to have another expert to rely on instead of just having to become an expert in this care system as the family member, as the patient.
8: Yeah, and Amabile is, is really trying to use her personal experience to be one of the things that helps inform these policies and how they could have a real-world impact to improve the system for people.
2: So to wrap up, Colorado faces greater mental health challenges than a lot of other states. More people who need help and less help available. And so when lawmakers got this big pot of federal money last year that we keep talking about, they decided it's time to really try to do something about those mental health system issues.
8: And the biggest thing they're trying to do immediately is to reduce this backlog in need of beds. Mm -hmm. More beds for adults and children in crises.
2: They're also making changes that they hope will benefit people with mental illness who get arrested to get them treatment faster and potentially keep them from getting stuck in the justice system instead of the treatment system.
8: They also have a whole range of bills meant to help youth in particular because there's a crisis going on at that age.
2: And finally, they're trying to streamline the system at all the programs and services the state is involved in under one administration to make it easier for people and families and providers to figure out what's going on to navigate the thing.
8: I want to share one final thought, and it comes from a woman named Sylvia Taz. She's a mom. Her son has schizoaffective disorder, and her whole family has had just such a hard, hard time dealing with this and all the ramifications surrounding it. Her son has been in jail in Boulder County for the past year because he assaulted her, his mother, after being let out of a hospital. His mother had pleaded to let him stay in this hospital a few extra days. She needed about four or five days for a residential treatment bed to open up. That didn't happen. And so her son was let out of the hospital and a couple days later assaulted her. So this mother, Sylvia, recently moved to New Mexico. She'd lived in Colorado for decades. She said she loves Colorado, but she said they just couldn't live here anymore with the way she feels Colorado treats mentally ill residents.
3: We get all these accolades for being one of the healthiest states. Um, We're 51st in mental health care. I think we need to stop the charades and the window dressing, and we need to identify this as threatening as the wildfires as we've just had. Our state right now, outside of these bills, has been designing a blueprint for a fire engine when we have the equivalent of wildfires raging all around the state and the lack of mental health services. We loved Colorado.
6: We couldn't stay there.
0: Purplish, the politics podcast from CPR News with public affairs reporters Benta Berkland and Andrew Kenny. If you or someone you know are in crisis or looking for mental health services, text TALK to 38255 to speak with a trained counselor. That's TALK to 38255. Follow this and all episodes of Purplish wherever you get your podcasts and at CPR.org. This is This is Colorado Matters from CPR
4: News. CPR is growing and evolving to better serve a growing and evolving audience in Colorado. And we're looking for new members of our team, with job openings now for a news director, a graphic designer, and a technical operations specialist. It takes a committed team with roles on and off the air to make Colorado Public Radio, and your skill set and experience may be just what we're looking for. See all open job opportunities and what working at CPR is like at CPR.org careers.
0: A new chapter now in the story of two men, a Grand Junction veteran whose precious bracelet was stolen while fighting in World War II, and a Czech man who unearthed and returned it more than 70 years later. Here's CPR's Western Slope reporter, Stina Sieg.
3: When Petr Svihović went for a walk in the Czech woods with his metal detector last fall, he never could have imagined he'd find that small silver bracelet or that it would take him across the globe. Your destination is on the right. Oh, my God. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm so happy, but so nervous. Nervous to meet Joe Escabel, the veteran who bought that bracelet as a teenager, right before shipping off to war. Joe had his signature engraved on one side, and on the other scratched his girlfriend's name, Lydia. After the war, they were married for nearly 70 years, until she died in 2019. Their oldest daughter greets Petter at her Grand Junction home.
6: It's so nice to meet you.
3: Nice I'm to meet Jolene. You. Yes, nice to I meet you. Oh, nice to Welcome
6: you. to Colorado, I guess. Thanks.
3: Jolene Escabel Archuleta hugs Petter, who also goes by Peter, he's come all the way from Prague. Okay,
6: yeah, here he is the man of the hour. Or I should say, the men of the hour.
3: At 95 years old, Joe uses his walker to stand up and shake Petter's hand. I'm sure glad
4: to. Be. Hi, Joe. <laughs> Hi, Joe. Nice to meet you. Nice
3: to meet you. Both are beaming. I just can't believe it. <laughs> can't believe it at all.
1: It's my happy day, really.
3: Not only did Petter find Joe's long lost bracelet buried on the grounds of a former POW camp, but he worked tirelessly to find its owner. With the help of a historian and countless others, he eventually found Joe through his wife's obituary. And it took the help of one final internet stranger to get the bracelet back to Joe. But when Grand Junction resident Elena Busovska, who was born in what's now Slovakia, called Joe's daughter, she had trouble convincing her. (laughs) <laughs> so I didn't know what to do. I'm a real person. I'm not a scammer. Her persistence was the final link in the chain of events that brought the bracelet home last year through diplomatic mail and eventually brought all of them together today in this living room. I'm crying and just crying. <laughs> Peter is crying too. So yeah, it's yeah, very, very nice.
4: Her, her, her heartbreaking story This all
3: and Jolene tells Petter there's one more person responsible for returning this bracelet. I think
8: my mom pushed you. I, I think the yeah, same, I, I really. Think so, I think so, <laughs> I think so. I You're going to find this and you're going to give it back to my husband. Yeah. And
3: wow. <laughs> I think so. Wow. Good story. It doesn't end there. Over the next few days, Petter and Joe forge a new friendship. Petter comes over to eat enchiladas and talk for hours. He's there for Joe's 96th birthday. When the family visits Lydia's grave, Petter tears up as they lay down a bouquet of red roses, her favorite. So we're gonna turn down
5: this hallway.
3: And when Joe attends a ceremony in his honor at the local Veterans Affairs Hospital, Petter holds his hand as he walks in with his cane. He's sitting right next to Joe as he receives a pin with a coat of arms on it from the Czech president, as well as a personal letter. It's read by Elena, one of the many people who helped make all of this happen. Not even the best screenwriter would manage to write such a narrative about a found and returned bracelet. Afterwards, Joe pats Petter on the hand. He did a real good job. <laughs> I can say that. And I ask Petter if this whole story finally feels real to him.
2: Yeah, now is it real. And world is so small.
3: And the world is so small. Petter says he's sad to be leaving Colorado soon, but he hopes to come back. And next time, he'll bring his wife and teenage son to meet Joe, who says he's adopted Petter as his grandson. In Grand Junction, I'm Stina Sieg, CPR News.
0: And I'm Andrea Dukakis. Thanks for joining us today on Colorado Matters. This is CPR News and KRCC.